Good morning. Welcome to Browncroft. Whether you're here in these seats, whether you're watching us online, we are so glad that you chose to join us this morning. Uh, we are in the middle of this series that Rob is doing called Open, Share Your Faith Like Jesus. And so today, we're going to be looking at opening your mind, opening your mind. Continuing on with the story of the Samaritan woman, also known as the woman at the well. We're continuing on in this story, and uh, it should be an adventure for us this morning. Uh, let me ask you a, a question to begin with, and it's this. Has God ever challenged the way you think about him? Has God ever challenged the way you think about him? I'm going to start this morning by tipping my hand, okay? I'm going to let you know the main part of my sermon. Here's my, here's my takeaway from this, from this whole time. You're going to get it in a tweet, okay? Here you go. A change of mind can change your life. A change of mind can change your life. And we're going to unpack that a little bit as we go. You know, my, God has challenged my mind as far as how I think about him almost continually as I've walked with him over the years. But, but even recently, I was having a conversation with my sister at Thanksgiving. We were about three slices of pie into dessert. And uh, we sat there and we were talking with each other and we were, we were saying to each other, we were having remarkable similarly experiences of life. And we were saying to each other, you know, Jesus is much different than what I anticipated him to be. He's really showing up in my life in some unique ways. And I think maybe some of the things I've always expected about Jesus are actually different than who Jesus really is. And we got into this great conversation about him. And I think one of the reasons why that's unique is because my sister and I are both uh, middle-aged pastor's kids now. So this is not a new thing for us, okay? We've grown up hearing about Jesus. We know every story there is in the Bible about Jesus. We've heard it 50 plus times. I mean, we were in church every Sunday morning, you know, every Sunday night we were in church. We were in church every Wednesday night for prayer meeting. And, uh, you know, every meal, every supper time, my dad would give a sermon about halfway through. So we knew every story about Jesus, yet there's something about Jesus that the more you study him, the more he draws you in and the more you see in his life. And so I think even this passage this morning is a way that Jesus is showing me some new things about him. And I hope all of us new things about him. We're experiencing right now, we're in this time of Advent, right? This time of waiting before Christmas, if you will. Um, and we're not really good at waiting. I hate waiting. I don't know if anybody else here enjoys waiting. I hate it. Um, have you seen the new studies out now in terms of American attention spans? Has anybody seen this? Do you know what the average American attention span is now? Eight seconds. Eight seconds. That's a new thing. Uh, the, the attention span of a goldfish? Nine seconds. Goldfish beat us. They beat us. If I, if I paused too long in between that statement, you would actually just lost your attention if I, if I did that. So eight seconds, that's all we got. I, I, I live that out in my life. I'm not good at waiting. But the more I read the story of the Samaritan woman, the more I realize she is really living a life of waiting. She is waiting for a lot. Let me, let me illustrate that for you. 
uh, th this jar is kind of very symbolic of her life, if you will. The jar had come to define who she was. She waited every day for all the rest of the women to go out from the village to gather their water, and she waited till the middle of the day to go out to gather water for her, herself, because she was shunned by the rest of her village for her lifestyle. She waited literally every day for water. But I think there was a waiting underneath that that she was experiencing. I think she was waiting for love. I think she was waiting for acceptance. As Rob talked about last week, Jesus really calls her out on that, doesn't he? He says, why don't you bring your husband here? And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, oh, you're right. You have five men that you're with, and the one that you're with right now isn't your husband. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus calls out one of the things that she's yearning for in her life, that she's waiting for, acceptance, love. I think even beyond that, even beneath that, she's waiting for purpose in her life. She's waiting for purpose. And so we pick up this story of this woman who's used to waiting. Maybe her life is even defined by it in many ways. And we pick up the story from where Rob stopped last week. John 4, 19 through 26. John 4, 19 through 26. You can turn uh, with me in your Bible, in your mobile device, or just read along up on the screen as well. It says this. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. In other words, gulp. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that a place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now, as you read through this passage, it's important to, to, note, to, to note a couple of things here. When the people writing the Bible were writing this down, they didn't have bold face, right, or italics, or all caps. So when they wanted to get something, a point across, what they would do is they would repeat it. They would repeat it. So there's one word in here that's mentioned 10 times in the context of this passage. What's that word as you read through it? What was it? Worship. Worship. Exactly. Jesus wants us to understand the importance of worship. What he's doing for us here is defining worship for us in a whole new way. There's a whole new paradigm that he's setting up for us in worship. Because really, all of life can be worship. Now, 
the woman is actually the person who brings this up in the context of this, this passage. In verse 20, she says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So Jesus got real personal with her there for a little bit, and she goes, Actually, let me take you to the Facebook argument. Can I do that? Can, can I just kind of set up an argument here for you and, and know which side of the argument you're on? And um, Jesus actually doesn't fall for that. Did you notice that in the passage? He actually doesn't. He, Jesus doesn't get caught up in the debate. So if we want to cha- share our life like Jesus, share our faith like Jesus, Jesus doesn't get caught up in the debate in this. There was a huge debate between the northern half of Israel and the southern half of Israel at this time, where is the proper place to worship? So this, the woman in Samaria is saying, it's up here in this mountain. Jesus is saying, or, and, and people in Judea were saying, no, it's down here in Jerusalem. The, the fact of the matter is, in the context of this, that time, the, those mountains were only 30 miles apart. So if you drive out here from Browncroft, right, you exit and you go down to Canandaigua Lake, There he is. That's the distance between the two mountains that we're talking about here. And there was a huge debate on which mountain is the right mountain to have to worship on. And Jesus is saying, actually, you got the whole debate wrong. Actually, I think in this passage, what the woman is doing, I love this term, she's using God to run away from God. It's very possible to do that in our lives. You ever know people that know a lot about the Bible, but when it comes to their own personal life, it's always kind of deflection kind of stuff? And the more you know, the easier it is to deflect, right? I mean, the, the longer you, you live, you, like, you can d- do that really easily. But Jesus doesn't let her do that. <laughs> he loves her too much to let her get away with the theological running away from God aspect in her life. What I've learned over the years of, you know, I've been in college ministry uh, for 20 years now, and, and with college students, what I've learned is often the surface issue isn't the real issue. I think that's true with all of us. That isn't just college students. That's all of us. Ever been in a discussion with somebody about Christianity, and they bring, I could never believe Christianity because of da 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 right? I'm like, cool, tell me more. That's the one phrase that I've used more and more over the years that I think has unlocked conversations to take that next level down. Because oftentimes, it's not that first thing that they're talking about. It's often what's beneath that thing. You know, one of the places I've seen God show up the most over the years is on spring break. I know this is crazy. (laughs) I know this is crazy, right? You think spring break is the last place people want to talk about God in, right? And in many many times that's true. But, But here's the deal. After about three days of partying, there becomes this openness that I don't think you you experience any other place. It's as weird as it sounds, God often shows up in those moments. Because everything that the world promises you for spring break, right? Imagine you're a college student, like you're told like, this is the time of your life. Everything is going to be amazing. It's going to be the best. Like just go all out. Like when people do that for a few days in a row and they still feel empty inside, there's kind of this aching and longing to know what's more. 
And in my conversations, oftentimes with students, even during spring break, it's just like, tell me about your life. Tell me about what, what you think. Where are you coming from? Oftentimes, after those conversations, people will go, thank you so much for talking with me. I never have anybody talk to me about this stuff. Um, sometimes I think one of the reasons why we don't want to share our faith is because we don't believe that the people we want to share it with are really as desperate as they are to hear the news about Jesus. So that's one thing as we read this passage. We're going to read on here in verse 22. Um, Jesus says this. He breaks it down this way. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Now, this is kind of a freaky statement, and it sounds kind of odd in the midst of this, but, but use the word, notice the wording that Jesus uses here. He's defining worship for us in a brand new way, and he's doing it in terms of where it's from. Did you notice that word? It's from the Jews. He didn't say it's for the Jews in the midst of that. That's really, really critical because it's easy to, to look at that. What he's saying is, God had a covenant with Israel to bless the world through them. That's the covenant he made with Abraham was, I'm going to bless the world through you. But rather than them looking at these amazing blessings from God as things for them to let the rest of the world know about, they kept it to themselves. And Jesus is showing by his example of engaging a Samaritan woman, somebody he should have no business talking with, He's showing what the good news is really about. It's about engaging people who are different from us. Jesus engages people beyond his circle. Beyond his circle, Jesus engages people. And that's an important lesson for us to internalize as we think about who might be the people that God has placed in my life. You know, it's easy for us to enter a church service like this and go, wow, this is great. What is this for me? But it's only as good as, yes, this is a place for you to get built up in your faith. But if, you, if we all don't take this and bring it out into the communities that we're a part of, then really we're in the same position as the people of Israel were in this day. And we're just holding on to it for ourselves. Verse 23 and 24, Jesus continues on in this. It says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So Jesus is telling us what worship looks like. And he gives us Two things, spirit and truth. He, Jesus focuses on what is most important in this passage. The spirit, he's already referred to the Holy Spirit in this passage. As you guys remember, if you've, if you've seen Rob's sermon from last week or a couple weeks ago, he talks about living water. He's already referred to the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. It's so easy for us in the Christian life to depend on our own strength. I don't know about you, but... But I depend on my own strength so much. But, but the revolutionary thing about the message of Christianity is this. When you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you as a believer. That's 
amazing. That's like mind-boggling. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And that's the source of a power in our lives. That's the source of, of strength in our lives. That's where everything good comes from in our lives. It's because God is the one at work, because he's the one doing it, not because we're great or because we're trying so hard to do this thing. Um, and that's one of the things that they had gotten wrong. But also, truth. Jesus mentions truth here. As Rob mentioned last week, um, the devil in the Bible is primarily known, if you read the Bible, it's primarily, he's primarily known as a liar. That's what he does. He lies and deceives. But Jesus is defining following him as following truth. Now, I love this phrase. This is a phrase I use in many different aspects of our life, of my life anyway. Reality is our friend. <laughs> right? And that, can, that, just, that just applies no matter what you're doing. Reality is our friend. And here's the reality of the gospel. The, uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, says it this way. You are more broken and sinful than you ever want to admit. At the same time, you are more loved than you ever dare dream. Right? You're more broken and sinful than you ever admit, but you are more loved than you ever dare dream. And those are the two sides of the gospel that we hold in tension at the same time. And, and, and some of us have problems with different sides of that, right? For some of us, we don't want to admit we're broken and sinful. I, I am in a lot of conversations with people, oh, I'm not too bad. I'm pretty good. I'm, you know, I got it together. I'm, I'm cool. Um, and that's just not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the God. And the wages of that sin is death. Eternal separation from God is what we get because we're more broken and sinful. But that's why the good news is that good, is that you are more loved than you ever dare dream. And for some of us, that's equally difficult to grasp in our lives, right? You think, John, if you really knew what I'd done, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that. And Maybe I couldn't imagine it, but God can. That's God's desire for you, is to have a relationship with you no matter what. No matter what. And you blend those two things together, and that's the truth of the gospel. That's a change of mind, right, that can change our life if we really believe those things are true. Verse 25 to 26, keep on going in this passage. The woman realizes what she was really waiting for here. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Boom. Light switch. Boom. She finds what she's waiting for all along, and it's Jesus. She's been waiting for Jesus the whole time. You might even say this woman was the first woman to invite people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's what she does. That's what she does in her life. Um, have you guys heard the story this week, even, is about the, this high school uh, freshman basketball team from uh, Michigan who 
ended up video chatting with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Did you hear this story? Some of you, some of you heard this story? L let me recount it for you, okay? So there's a high school freshman basketball team who is inputting a bunch of their numbers on a group chat so they can get rides with each other, right? And so they're all like group chatting. And one of the kids that was responsible for inputting everybody's number got one digit wrong. And the digit that he got wrong was actually one of the players for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who was also from Michigan. <laughs> so it was a crazy story. He just got one digit wrong, and it ended up being this, this player, Sean Murphy Bunting, who's a, a cornerback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, um, and so Sean Murphy Bunting says, hey, guys, did you mean to add me to this chat? And the guys think it's the guy on their team that's texting them, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we did. Blah, 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 you know, like freshman guys, whatever. And, and, uh, and he goes, no, no, really. Do you know who this is? This is Sean. And they're like, who, what? No. And, and they keep on not believing him. And then eventually he texts them a picture of himself in the locker room, Right? And they still think it's one of their buddies playing a trick on them. They still think it's their, their buddy playing a trick on them. They're like, no way. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> In the locker room. <laughs> and then Sean Murphy Bunting actually video chats with them. He gets on the video and says, no, for real, guys, it's me. Hey, what's up? Hey. And they're like, uh, uh. Then he hands the, the phone over to Leonard Fournette the running back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, and, and Leonard Fournette's, what's up, guys? Hey, how's it going? And the guys are like, what is happening? What is happening right now? Oh. And they start going crazy. And, 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 they're, and they're going crazy. Leonard Fournette starts taking the cell phone around the locker room and showing every player in the locker room, all these stars, he's showing, and then the guys get greedy. Freshman guys, they get greedy. They say, show us the goat. Where's the goat? Where's the goat? And they go, and, and lo and behold, Leonard Fournette takes the phone over to Tom Brady. Tom Brady goes, what's up, guys? <laughs> and that's the only time I'm going to say anything good about Tom Brady in a sermon. Um, thank you. Thank you. No, that's just true. Um, and he's like, what's up, guys? And the guys lose their minds. I mean, they're going crazy. They're like, oh, my goodness, it's Tom Brady. Ah, ah. They literally lost their minds. And, and um, you know, eventually the phone gets back to Sean Murphy Bunny. He's like, ball out this year, guys. Have a good one. Peace. And the guys are just like, you know, there's news stories about him. It's, it's crazy. Now, imagine being one of those guys, right? What you would be feeling in that moment. Multiply that by times like a million and that's what this woman is experiencing in that moment. The creator of the universe, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, is sitting at a well next to her, and she realizes for the first time he is the real deal. This man is the Savior that we've been waiting for, and it clicks. And her life is changed. That is dramatic. That is a dramatic change. And now let me share with you something that I never noticed in this passage. Kind of going back to what I was talking about with my sister, right? 
I never noticed one thing in here, and it's actually not in this passage. It's actually just a couple verses later in verse 28. Um, of all my years reading the Bible, I get, I, I've read it before. I just have never keyed in on it before. Verse 28 says this, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town. Hmm. Started thinking about that. Why is that important? Why would that make it in? Then leaving the water jar... Do you remember the disciples when they met Jesus? Peter, James, John, all fishermen, when they met Jesus, what did they do? They left their nets behind, right? Matthew, a disciple of Jesus, tax collector, what did he do when he met Jesus? Left his tax booth behind, he went and followed Jesus. This passage is showing us clearly when we meet Jesus, we choose to follow him, we leave stuff behind. We leave stuff behind. You know, this has played out in my life, I don't know, a million times over the years, but you know, I, I just think of certain moments, like the moment after college when I decided I really needed to follow Jesus with my life and, and get off the fence with, you know, am I a Christian, am I not? And there were sin things in my life that I needed to, to really face up to. And I said, I, I need to, to leave those behind. And I also had pride. I, I also wanted to be liked by everybody and be accepted by everybody. And I needed to set that behind so that I could truly follow Jesus with my life. A few years after that, my wife and I decided, hey, we're going to go into ministry with college students. <laughs> That was a long process of trying to figure that one out in my life. Um, well, when I did that, part of that decision was, man, I sure would love to be successful in what I do, right? And I was left the business world, left what I was doing in business. My wife left what she was doing in the marketplace, and we left our jobs, and we said, we'll give it two years, God. We'll give this two years, see how this turns out turned into 20. <laughs> but I had to leave my desire for success behind. And even recently, I've come into a spot where I feel like Jesus is again saying, John, I want you to leave some stuff behind. This pastoral position for me is not something I ever dreamed of. I will tell you that. <laughs> I have not grown up dreaming about being a pastor. As a matter of fact, the one thing I said I would never do is be a pastor, okay? Just so you know, you've heard the story, PK. I said never. God laughs when we say that. But um, I had to leave some stuff behind. Part of it was saying never would I do that. But another part was, you know, in, in my current job, leaving what I did to get into my current job, there's a comfort level in what I do now. I, I'm okay at it. I feel... Good, I, I have a reputation. I, there's a sense of influence that I have in what I do. And, and more than even that, though, I think beneath it was relationships. And so we had a retreat with some of our leaders that my wife and I oversee. And um, there was all the people that we directly oversee. There's like 17 of us sitting around a circle. And I didn't want them to find out kind of, you know, you know on, through the grapevine or anything. So was, once I was just starting to 
think, oh, maybe I'm going to do this. I don't know. I said, okay, I'll tell these people. I got to tell them face to face. I can't tell them over a Zoom call. So um, I did. Then they started crying, or a few of them started crying. Then I started crying. Uh, and then they said, we're going to stop this meeting right now, and we're going to tell you why we love you. And then I started crying more. And then they said, we're going to pray for you. And they started praying for Laura and me. And then, you know the crying where you're not just crying, you're at the snot is actually running down your face, and you have like the heaves? You know that kind of crying? That's the kind of crying I was doing. It was like this ultimate grief of like, I realize I'm leaving something behind, and this isn't just intellectual for me anymore. This is like hitting my heart to leave this behind. But I... But, uh, my belief is, Jesus, you're calling me to this, and I, I got to follow you. So this just isn't an intellectual thing for me. This is a very personal thing for me in the midst of all of this. But I have a question for you as well. A couple of questions, actually. First of all, what are you waiting for? If you were to, to picture yourself waiting right now, waiting by the well, so to speak. What is it that you're really waiting for? Love, acceptance, purpose? Something else? You fill in the blank. What is it that you're waiting for? And then secondly, a question is, what is Jesus asking you to leave behind? What is Jesus asking you to leave behind? And that's not an easy question to ask ourselves, right? It's scary. I get scared asking that question. I'm not some spiritual superhero. Um, I get scared to say, Jesus, what could you be asking me to leave behind? But let me say, first of all, when we do, Jesus shows up in amazing ways, in often ways that we would have never experienced him other places. But also this. We can follow Jesus to those places because Jesus has already done that for us. Jesus has already left behind something more significant than we will ever leave behind. That's what we're celebrating in this season, is the season of Advent, of Christmas. We are celebrating Jesus leaving the eternal relationship he had with the Father and the Spirit for all eternity in coming to take on human flesh, to be with us. We're celebrating that Christmas. Jesus left behind angels singing to him and praising his name and experiencing that utter joy of being there in heaven to dwell with us. Jesus has left more behind than we'll ever leave behind. And yet he did that for you and he did that for me. Not just to live for us, but to die for us. To die that death that each one of us deserves. Jesus paid that price for you, for me. So that when we say, here is my life, you have it all, Jesus. At that moment, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus talks about, comes into our life, transforms us, gives us a change of mind 
and a change of our lives. We're going to celebrate that in communion this morning. It's one of the most sacred things we do as a church. And I hate rushing through communion because it's too sacred. So as before we even take the elements, you can, you can get them out, maybe even click the first one down and, and peel it back up. But before we do it, I want to give us just a moment or two of silence for you to linger with those questions and not just rush into this as like something we check off a list, but this is a way for us to experience Jesus in our lives in a new and fresh way, for him to be transforming us from the inside out. So reflect on, Jesus, what, are, what am I waiting for right now? I bring that to you. And Jesus, is there anything you're calling me to leave behind in my life right now? Let's take a moment to reflect on that together. First Corinthians, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Lord, thank you for not only coming to live for us, with us, but to die for us. Jesus, I pray more and more we will see you for who you truly are in our lives, and that will change our minds about how we're meant to live and will propel us out to reach the world around us. We can't do this in our own strength, Jesus. We need your spirit to empower us. Will you empower us through your Holy Spirit? Thank you for the love that you have for us, a bunch of broken people in this church. Thank you that you know everything about us and that you accept us in the midst of it all. 
Help us to live our lives wholly for you. In your name we pray, amen. You can check out this video coming up. Thank <laughs> you.